standing up in McKinney. This is According to Callus. It is episode 400, 445, 445, that's right, coming to you on June the 28th. It is a Wednesday, and unfortunately for me, this episode is going to be going out late. Hopefully they have it up by 6 p.m., and uh, like the two previous days, I imagine this will be a little bit of a barn burner. Well, what do I mean? Well, stick around to find out. But before we get there, let me remind you the best way you can help me get the word out, build the audience, and get things done. It's to like, share, and subscribe to this podcast. Follow me. Follow, follow, follow. That that changes the algorithm. That changes the ability for other people to find me and what we're doing. And the other thing you can do is rate and review. Go to your favorite podcatcher, go to YouTube, go wherever it suits you. Go there, rate and review this show. Every little bit helps. We've often talked about the idea before I get into the subject matter that if everybody just put in five bucks or one dollar or whatever, if everybody did it, we'd be so far ahead. Same thing here, ladies and gentlemen. Every little bit, follow, like, share, subscribe. Rate and review. Every little bit helps. No fear, because we're still growing. We're still doing it, but it will greatly speed up the process, and we can make a difference the more people that get on board. So here we go. That's right. We're going to talk a little bit about how to avoid friendly fire. See, the problem is everybody defines conservative differently. It's the same problem that people that want to criticize others for being Christian nationalists run into. Well, I would say that you could describe me as a conservative depending on your definition. You could describe me as a Christian nationalist depending on your definition. That being said, both terms are largely meaningless because nobody agrees upon a definition. So that leads to an awful lot of friendly fire. You hear a great deal of these milk toast, self-proclaimed Christians that anything you do to actually proclaim Christianity, to put forth the word of God, to actually stand firm on those convictions, they call you a Christian nationalist. They call you out for standing what you believe is right. So I'm just curious, how do they call themselves a Christian if they disavow the very thing that they're supposed to be doing? But we let them get away with it because I think they have a warped understanding of what it is to be a Christian nationalist, at least the way I would understand it. But once again, there's more than one definition and there's not an agreed upon definition. Secondarily, when you have moderates claiming to be conservatives or realigning what it is to conserve, when we have a proven track record that conservatives actually conserve nothing which is why I often ignore the term conservative, why I poo-poo the term conservative, and I say I'm a liberty lover. I'm a liberty advocate. Yeah, I know that's a little less easy to understand, and some might even argue that's nebulous. My thing is, is if you're given a proposition, if you're given a situation, and there is one version that promotes liberty or there's one thing that's more pro-liberty, guess what? 90 plus percent of the time, that's the position I'm going to stand for. So to me, if you're actually taking a moment out to consider what the issue is and you think about which is the more liberty side of this to go on, 
That's why I believe liberty advocate or liberty lover or pro-liberty, whatever, that's a far better term than I'm a conservative because conservatives are always defending liberal programs from 20 years ago. The further we progress left, the, the further we progress down the path to socialism, right? The, the road to serfdom, if you will, the, the more the term conservative becomes meaningless. So what does that mean to you and I? And how does that translate to what we've been talking about, right? We want to save Texas. We want to form our groups. We want to do everything we can to make a difference, how do we do that? What, what does that matter? Well, it comes down to tribalism, really. Now, I know there's a whole lot of people that don't like that term. There are some negative connotations to it, in all fairness. Yes, I know. And there are some people that abuse and use that in negative ways. I'm not one of them. What I mean by that is you got to pick people that are like you. Not just they look like me or they sound like me, but they think like me. They believe like me. They they have a similar attitude to me. There's so much more at play there than the superficial things of how I look or how I speak. Now, those are important. Those They matter to everybody else in the world except for European white people in the United States. Hmm? But... I'm willing to set that aside. I'm willing not to make that an issue because I know exactly what I'm dealing with if I go down that road. I don't wish to wage that battle because I don't think it's the right battle. In my mind, I'm wanting people that I align with morally, ethically, liberty speaking. And if they just happen to look like me or sound like me, that's a bonus, but it's not a required. One of my closest friends and allies, I have nicknamed Mr. Conservative. If he's listening to this, he knows who I'm speaking of. He's Latino, probably Latino, but you know what? He's probably even more conservative than I am. And you know what else? He's not afraid to stand on his own feet and push back. And I'm glad to call that man my friend, and I'm glad he's my ally. And we don't agree on everything, but we're far closer than a whole lot of people from my home state of Wisconsin that may look like me, may sound like me, but they're they're ready to put people in rail cars. So again, pick your tribe, but you do it based on your principles. You do it based upon level of importance. If, it, if it's uber important to you that uh, that person looks like you or sounds like you, maybe you better check your priorities. Now, it is a good cheat list, right? Because if somebody looks like me and sounds like me, there's a fairly decent chance they might agree with me, no matter where I'm at on that spectrum. I mean, I'm going to guess leftist, less, uh, leftist progressives, they look at people with blue hair and lots of facial markings. They're going to be good progressives. I mean, they look like them. They sound like them. See, it doesn't only have to key on racist. It doesn't have to only key on the tone of your skin. It has to do with how you look and how you dress and how you project yourself to others. Sadly, there's still a segment of society that thinks that's all that matters. I'm not going to say it doesn't matter at all. I'm not willing to say that. But on the flip side, uh, yeah, I'm not going to be joining any... uh, clan meetings anytime in this uh, lifetime. Mm -hmm. So I don't think I need to say anything more there, but you know, I do live in the South and apparently there's some people that think it's 1966 or 1865. Uh, No, no. 
Now, when you've picked your team, when you've picked your tribe, when you when you've picked those people that you agree with on principles, and you're doing things together, you need to stay the course. You need to be willing to put skin in the game. You need to be willing to work with them. You need to be willing to let them know that you have their back. You need to let the rest of the team know that when the chips are down, you're there. When when things get hard, you're there. When things when people come after you, I got your back. I'm going to be there in the tough times. It's it's not all that dissimilar to, but on a much lower scale, a marriage, right? For sicker, for poor, for sickness and health, right? Or richer, poor, sickness, health, and various other things. Through through a marriage, you've made a covenant binding agreement to stay with your wife, or if you're a lady, your husband, thick and thin. Well, maybe not to that same extent, but when you pick your tribe and when you've got your clan, your group, whatever you want to call it, oh boy, I used the word clan. (laughs) Let's say it was with a C, just so we're clear. Yeah, maybe in the Scottish way or the Irish way, although I'm just, ladies and gentlemen, please don't don't mistake what I'm trying to drive at here, right? You got to stay the course. Pick your partners, make the most of it, and have their back, and go into battle together. And at this point, at least, most all of those battles are going to be confrontational, but not physical. Most of them will be confrontational, but not with drastic consequences. Hmm? We, we don't necessarily want war. We don't necessarily want to start something that we don't want to be caught in the middle of. I have said this many, many times, and I want to rephrase this once again, just because of how touchy the subject matter can be. I do not want to relive the Civil War. I do not want to have a battle royale for control of the federal government. Zero interest to me. I would like the federal government to go along their merry way. Y'all know how I feel about Texas, and I would be well in support of Cal Exit. The Vermont Republic, you know, whatever, Columbia, there there are plenty of little quote-unquote separatist movements that would give everybody an opportunity. Again, that's coalescing together with people that generally think like you and moving forward to do something different. That's not a bad thing. It can be done peacefully. It has been done peacefully many, many times. But you have to stay the course. Now here... Here comes part of the thing. We're talking about the idea of friendly fire and how do you avoid it, right? If you're working with people that you generally agree with, if you're working with people and partnering with people that is on the same wavelength in the same book, whatever you want to use as an analogy or metaphor for what's going on here, you're going to have to compromise on tactics every now and again. There are a lot of people that go on Twitter and and just hammer things uber aggressively. Now I appreciate that they do that. And I, and I actually think they serve a purpose. A lot of times when I see that some of the harsh memes, I, I do snicker because it, it's doing a good work. That's not me. That's not how I operate. But I, if I'm honest, I do enjoy them from time to time. Then there are the, um, I'll use the, this way, the people that refuse to ever raise their voice that they don't want any confrontation. They're just going to win you over with love. Well, first of all, that generally doesn't work. Second of all, uh, how can you love somebody if you can't call out right from wrong? Just saying. So me personally, 
I have this podcast. I uh, weed out some of the uh, thought process prior to putting the mic on, but every once in a while I'll overstep or I'll go a little beyond somebody's comfort zone. But you know what? That's me. I, I try really hard not to censor myself other than not using curse words, which as a sailor, they from time to time do come flying out, particularly when I'm really upset about something. And you know, you don't want to dwell on the negative. You can spend a lot of time dwelling on the negative. Believe you me, when the entire world seems to be fixated on running everybody else down, it's very easy to be negative. But you got to look past that. You got to look past all that stuff into a possible positive future. And how do we get there? Well, again, you got to meet up. You got to work together. We've talked about this. You've got to fight to take it back. You got to take control of the narrative. You got to take the advantage and you got to be on offense. We've talked about all these things. So again, the tactics, you're going to do a little different. Some people are more aggressive. Some people are more laid back. Some people are more negotiators and some people are more of a hard charger, right? They just go in and take advantage of the situation. And uh, honestly, sometimes I think they don't think about the consequences. But if you're working with people that generally want the same things, they they have the same long-term goals, there is room for compromise on that stuff. There is there is something to be said for all approaches are necessary and useful. If you don't believe me, you look no further than rules for radicals. He lays it out, and they've been far more successful than most of us are comfortable wanting to admit. Hmm. All right. And it's often be said that, you know, amateurs think about tactics or even strategy where the professionals talk logistics. Okay. Well, there's something to be said for that. And I'm going to take my little take on that, right? So as leaders, as people that are working together, whether it's in a team, in an extended tribe slash clan, whether it's just a party, hmm? When you've got your team set, when you've got your roles put in place, when you have acknowledged that there are different tactics at play, then you need to consider what are the logistics of the situation and what is the strategy we need to employ. For instance, say you have a budget of $10,000. Would it make more sense to invest $10,000 in a race or a political uh, battle That maybe if you spend all that money on that, you might win? Or would it be better divvied up over five um, battles, if you will, uh, $2,000 each or spread it out a little bit differently, where each one of those uh, investments is going to pay a much higher dividend? Is it better to win uh, or secure wins in five battles or squander it all on one, right? Or logistics. We have X amount of manpower that we can utilize in this election cycle or in this political occasion or whatever. And this, all this basically keys on elections. Let's be honest. But there's a whole lot of other stuff that goes on before, during, and after of elections that requires both logistical support and strategy that's being employed. And logistics is an arm of strategy, Right. The logistics doesn't matter if you don't have a strategy to utilize them, but strategy is no good if you don't have the logistics to back it up. So again, let's reevaluate. If I invest in five different uh, things here and I can get four out of the five, am I better off than if I threw it all in the one and maybe eked out a win in the one? Well, I don't know. What's the strategy? Are Are we looking to 
take a specific thing here? Are we looking to buttress this? Are we, are we looking to press an advantage? Are we looking to stave off defeat? Are we looking to establish a beachhead, right? These are all phrases that are military or battle orientated because that's what we're in. People always forget politics, politics is an extension of war, much like War is an extension of politics. The two feed back upon each other. And if you don't understand that, if you continue to miss that, you're doomed to failure. We have to own our mistakes and we have to reevaluate. How do we deploy our limited resources? This is logistics. How do we get the best advantage and how do we come out on the other side in a better situation? That's the strategy. So you can have all the strategy you want and all the planning you want, but guess what? Like Mike Tyson says, everybody's got a plan until they get punched in the face, Right. Eisenhower did all the planning before D-Day and he knew full well there was a good chance that he was going to have oodles of problems. And guess what? They figured out plan B's, plan C's, plan D's, probably plan Zulu's, right? All these different ideas or different things were put in place so that they could understand the strategy. But I'll tell you what, even when you're talking strategy and even when you're talking logistics, it only takes that one guy, that one person that upends everything. Don't care if it's Sergeant York or Audie Murphy for two examples that everybody listening to me should be at least somewhat familiar with. They can turn the tide. They can turn the tide of a battle and that battle turns the tide of the war, right? Everything matters, but some things matter more than others. And if you doubt me, just look at what played out. Hmm? Just just watch and pay attention to what's been playing out for the last two to three years here. We put what I would call a pretty hard press on the sitting incumbent governor in Texas, and it barely made a dent in his approval. He won his reelection, if you believe the numbers, handedly, both in the primary and the general. Now, is that because Greg Abbott's awesome? Or is it because all the other governors, except for maybe Ron DeSantis, are mediocre at best? Is it because he's got more money than pretty much every other candidate out there? Or is it because he marshaled his forces and he knew exactly what he was doing? I mean, most of these are logical conclusions that you can guess if you know nothing. Those that are in the know, I don't consider myself in the know in that specific situation, but those that are in the know would say, well, here's where the key differences are, and this is how he deployed his resources, logistics, and this is what the strategy was to ensure his victory, which informed his logistics. And unless and until we begin to think that way, we're going to continue to lose. If you want to take back Texas, you have to do it incrementally, step by step, starting locally and working your way up. So what does that look like? Well, in every situation, it's going to be slightly different. You could be in my former home state of Wisconsin, and you could be looking at, well, we've got a legislature in Wisconsin that's a whole bunch of ours, but unfortunately for us, a lot of them are mediocre at best, just like Texas. Or you could hop over to Idaho, which is probably the reddest state in the country at this point, but a whole lot of those R's are really weak-kneed cowards. Hmm? Then you can go over to somewhere like California where uh, it's like the biggest full-blown progressive nut job is the one that can be elected to the highest position. Not sure how that works, but it does. Same thing could be said for New York or, if you want to play along, 
the city of Chicago. And then, of course, there, there's the problem. We're still trying to wrap our heads around how the uh, person that, in my opinion, is a brain-dead moron is functioning as a senator in Pennsylvania. And the only thing that's even comparable to that are the two that are the residents in the 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue. How does that person function? And how is everybody okay with this and just goes along with this? Again, we're dealing with a scenario where the people just don't care. Gimme, gimme, gimme. And we're going against the give me mob. Hmm? How do you get, how do you fight that? How do you counter that? Again, this is your strategy. What are you going to do? You're not going to be able to outgive a bunch of leftists. You're not going to be able to out-progressive progressives. So you got to offer something alternative. You got to look at something that you can do or that you're willing to try that the other side would never do. So we talked about this a little bit yesterday, right? You got to make people uncomfortable. That's part of the strategy. If you make people uncomfortable, it causes them to reconsider. I don't know how many of you have paid attention too much to the news during perversion month, but apparently there was an article. I didn't get a chance to read it all, but I saw the headlines and kind of glanced at it of there is a realtor that is advertising his uh, underground railroad to safe states for those that exercise their perversion of choice. You're doing us a favor, buddy. Thank you. I'd give you a high five. But I don't know who you are and I don't know where you're at. And I like it that way too. But let us consider, why would we interrupt people doing us a favor? Why would we be upset if they're giving us a net positive? So one wonders, as an aside, what exactly is the strategy and play in the little colonia northeast of Houston, in part funded by our good Governor Abbott. What is the purpose? What's the long-term outcome? What's the desires with that? I mean, I could imagine they're going to start popping up uh, brand new birth citizens. Lord help us if we don't fix that. But, I mean, what else is going to be gained from that? Who knows? And while we're on the topic, right, they refuse to defend the border. They refuse to secure the border. They refuse to do all the things they're supposed to do, yet we're supposed to train, or I'm sorry, we're supposed to trust these guys with our security. We're supposed to trust them with law enforcement. We're supposed to trust them in how they run the military, both state level and national level. Well, I'm sorry. I'm not buying it. I mean, if, if anybody actually believes the FBI is functioning in the way that it ought to function, if anybody thinks there's a net positive brought about by the FBI, I would strongly suggest you need to reconsider your notions there. You see, I can be anti-Fed and support the state. I can, I can decide that there's no value gained by continuing to tolerate what is done in our name at the federal level. But all that being said, it's only going to be nominally better at the state level unless and until we do something about that. And unless and until we start replacing politicians with patriots. Yes, I stole that from Robert West. (laughs) Uh, 
Hat tip to Robert West, by the way. And if you haven't checked out his five-star plan book, I highly recommend you do so. And I just so happen to know the guy does travel around the state a whole lot. So if you should hear from me, consider this an endorsement. You should invite him to your neck of the woods. At any rate, on with the show. <laughs> and ladies and gentlemen, just to catch one, I get nothing out of that. The only thing Robert and I have exchanged is he gave me a, a nice signed copy of his book, I guess for review. But I've already reviewed it. I think I gave five episodes discussing the great work that he did there. And he's still out to this day stumping and doing his part to replace politicians with patriots. So you should check out his podcast too, the Robert West podcast. And uh, one of these days, he and I will sit down and we'll do a couple shows together. I'm looking forward to it. But at this time, <laughs> that is a future endeavor, future, future. Well, ladies and gentlemen, I'm about ready to wrap this up tonight. I'm going to keep it short. I've got other responsibilities on top of being late. And uh, perhaps, perhaps we won't have a late episode tomorrow. Until then, remember, if you've got the right people on your team, you don't have to worry about that friendly fire program. Oh, did I say program? I meant problem. (laughs) The friendly fire problem is something that we all look to avoid. And the best way to do that is pick your team carefully. And with that, I will see you on the other side.